Hello and welcome to the Predictor Podcast, a podcast that talks about the unpredictability of sport and life. Each week, we delve into the journey of our guests discussing their past, present and unearthing their predictions for the future. Join me, Paul Furness and Scott Taylor as we explore the role sport has to play in tackling the challenges of everyday life. Here we go for another episode of The Predictor. Okay, Andrew, uh, Andrew Dalton, thanks very much for joining us on the Predictor podcast. Um, my name is Paul Furness. We've got Scott Taylor here as well. Um, first things first, mate, how are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, All, all's good. I uh, had a couple of days rest uh, of annual leave and it coincided with probably Leeds United's best performance in the Premier League for, for many a year and very much looking forward to uh, the visit of the Toffee Men uh, to Allen Road, hopefully. Leeds can make it three in a row in the Premier League for the first time since New Year's Day 20, 2003 uh, and the first double of Everton since uh, season 1990-1991. So, yeah, uh, all very good and all very positive at the moment. Brilliant. I mean, from your intro there, mate, for those of you that haven't guessed, you're a bit of a <laughs> you're a bit of a, you, you're known on Twitter as LUFC Stats. Yes. You've got a couple of books that we're going to sort of touch on later. So, yeah, yeah that, that's your background. Like I say, it's, it's amazing, really. You're just a fountain of knowledge when it comes to all things Legion. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to picking into some of that. But, uh, Fabulous. I know Scott's got a question really to start us off. Yeah, Andrew, we, m- m- uh, all our guests that we uh, that we speak to, we, we ask um, a, a question that we is uh, really relevant to the to podcasts, really. That mm-hmm. are, are you a predictor? Um, and when we talk about a predictor, are you someone that likes to plan things, likes to be, you know, have that routine and control? Or are you someone that likes to, to go with the flow a little bit and just see what happens and, and go from there? It's funny you should say that because I've actually been diagnosed with autism. And I'm the kind of person with, because I'm autistic, that likes his routine. And if my routine kind of breaks, my anxiety kind of kicks in. And I think when lockdown first happened, Scott, back in March, April last year, I found it very difficult to deal with things. I was put on furlough from the job that was in at the time. And I found it quite strange not knowing what to do with myself because I've I've gone from wake up in the morning, going to work every morning, to working from home, to then suddenly being put on furlough for six months. And it was great because it gave me the opportunity to do other things. But it took a wee while for me to, I think, kind of grasp the situation. I know I'm not the only person that sort of deals with that. But when you go from one extreme to to going into work, seeing all your work colleagues, knowing what you're doing on any given day, to have that just gone for six months was was very, very difficult. And I'm a a kind of person that I like to plan. I know I'm now in a new job, which I've been in since December, which I love every second of. And oh, Sheffield United have just scored really sharp, big goal. Uh, I, I like to plan methodically and I know what I'm doing on each day, basically. And I know when I go into work that I know what goals have got to set me. And when you have that taken away from yourself, it is very difficult. And I know we're still in a very difficult situation at the moment with lockdown. And I know a lot of people on furlough. I'm very fortunate that I found myself a new job. But it is very, very difficult to, to deal with things at times. 
Um, we're going to put your sporting predictions to the test. You might have seen this on, on social media, on yes. Instagram and Twitter. Um, what are your sporting predictions? Like? I presume with all the stats that you know about football that you are probably quite good at predicting scores? Well, it's funny because I'm in a, a Super 6 league, uh, uh, one with my girlfriend, and I'm, I'm beating her quite a bit. I don't think she'll like that. <laughs> I, I'm in uh, another one with my old work colleagues. I'm actually top of the league, I think, on... 270 odd points so I'm doing all right I had a mare last weekend uh, but it happens from time to time it's it's very difficult to predict games when there's no crowd there because I think it does make a massive difference and you look at Sheffield United and they're just taking the lead playing at Bramall Lane is very intimidating and you've got that greasy chip butty song going it, it, <laughs> it's back in your neck isn't it so I was going to ask you can you sing that song for us but <laughs> I, I'm not sure <laughs> No disrespect to Stephanie Ike fans. But yeah, it, it makes a difference. France do make a difference. And there's been Leeds games in the past, Scott, that have been to where uh, it's made a massive difference. So it can just be quite difficult to predict stuff at the moment, but you go with the flow as best you can. Okay, so what myself and Paul have chosen five fixtures uh, for this weekend uh, across wow. a number of different sporting events. Um, so, the, so the first one we've got is Barnsley versus Derby. Now, obviously, Derby with Wayne Rooney coming in, picked up a couple yeah. of results. V- Valerian Ishmael's come in at Barnsley, former Crystal Palace midfielder. And he's actually done a really good job. And I know after, I think, Daniel Stendel was there uh, and Gerhard Struber was there. They've, uh, gee, just to break off, Arsenal down down to nine men against <laughs> the goal has been sent off. That's going well. I feel like uh, this is a commentary as well as a podcast. I've got But anyway, going back to Barnsley Derby, I think Barnsley won at uh, I think at Pride Park back early in the season. Derby have had a game called off tonight against Rotherham. One all. I think both teams are playing some good stuff at the moment. I know uh, Barnsley don't always get the results. I think Wayne Rooney's come in at Derby and he's turned the club around. So I'm going to sit on the fence for that one and I'll go one apiece. Go with the draw. Perfect. Uh, we've got, are you a big fan of rugby? Are you a rugby fan? Yes, I'm more uh, a Super League fan. I'm guessing you're not going to Six Nations here. I you? am indeed, <laughs> yes. Yeah. England versus Scotland. Oh, the Calcutta Cup. <laughs> oh, oh. It, it's been very difficult to predict. I know Eddie Jones' side haven't played much rugby since the whole of lockdown and, uh, and what have you. Uh, is this one at Twickenham? It is. That's correct. Uh, I would expect, I think England have got a very good record against Scotland at, at Twickenham. I don't know the last time that Scotland won at Twickenham. I think Scotland, and you can correct me wrong, are under the stewardship of Gregor Townsend at the moment. I might be wrong there. That's my very brief rugby union knowledge. <laughs> but I, I feel that Eddie Jones's men will probably have a little bit too much uh, for England. And I'll go England by 12. Perfect. Uh, we're going back to football. Liverpool versus Man City. Big game at the top of the table. Oh, Laura, Christ. Uh, Liverpool have hit form again. Uh, they were very impressive against Tottenham on, on Thursday. They were even more impressive at, at West Ham on uh, on Saturday, Sunday, Tracker Days. City are in the form of the life at the moment. And Desmond. You're going to draw with that one as well. Yeah, that's a very hard game to predict because, uh, yeah, I don't know how you, you can predict that. Okay, we're uh, going... Informed side, it was 4-3 a couple of years ago, which was 
a fantastic game of football. So, uh, yeah, it's a very difficult game to predict, but I'd, I'll sit on the fence with that one and go 2-2. Two, two. Perfect. We're going, we're going back to rugby again with the Six Nations. Wow versus Ireland. Oh, dear God. Uh, from, again, my brief knowledge of, of rugby. Who, who won the Six Nations last year? Out of interest. Uh, I lose track of them. Was it played last year? Good question. I think it was finished. I think they played it about six months. Six months after uh, COVID started in March, yeah. I think it was, wasn't it? Um, they got halfway yeah. through, didn't they? If correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. They got halfway through, and then they had to cancel games. And yes, Ireland Italy stands out as a game that was a little bit to all over the media for getting cancelled and whatnot. Yes. Oh crikey! My, my knowledge of Wales and. Uh, Ireland go back to the days of Yian Evans uh, in the early 90s and Eric Eld and Simon Gagan and whatnot when England I think played in the likes of Rob Andrew and uh, You're showing your age now Andrew <laughs> <laughs> That's my very brief knowledge <laughs> uh, The thing is if you had the fans in at the, the Millennium Stadium that will make a hell of a difference because when the National Athlete comes on yeah do something back of your neck I'll go Wales by six. And then lastly, Super Bowl. What's your, uh, oh, what's your knowledge of the Super Bowl? Very little about the Super Bowl. We've got the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, God. I think this might be a stab in the dark for you, Andrew, by the looks of that. The only reason I'm just going to go for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is it Tampa Bay Buccaneers? That's correct. I understand. I no disrespect to people that follow Super Bowl. I just don't understand it. I've never really <laughs> got into it. It's never really been a, a sport for for myself. Uh, I'll go the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, that's something to do with one of the owners of Man United once upon a time. Uh, one of the Glazers. Possibly, think, yeah. Yeah, I think they've got. Um... Part, I'm part surprised to being a Leeds fan, you've not tried to back the Kansas City Chiefs, knowing that, Andrew. I'm not, do you know what? I know nothing about. <laughs> I, I'm going to share my. Experience. I know nothing uh, about uh, American. It's just never been a sport that I've ever really thought about getting into. But everyone's different, so I'll go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just because I've heard of them. <laughs> Brilliant, spot on. So. Thanks for taking part in the Predict Challenge, mate. It'll be interesting to see how you get on with that. Well, I'll keep an eye out, absolutely. Don't forget, you can join in the fun and take part in the Predictor Challenge all for free. Five selected sporting fixtures for you to predict every week with monthly prizes up for grabs. Check out our Twitter at PredictorPod and Instagram to get involved. Have you got what it takes to top the leaderboard and be the undisputed predictor? Moving on then, um, as we do with all our guests, Andrew, just sort of going to take it all the way back to the start, sort of you growing up. Just explain to us, sort of, when you were younger, what sort of predictions did you make for yourself when you were younger in terms of what you wanted to do when you grow up or that sort of thing? It's funny because when I was seven, eight years old, I went on a soccer football camp, which was Leeds United Foundation, well, different back then. And it was rung by a guy called Seth Pod, who had a very distinguished career at Bradford City. I think he played at Scarborough. We're talking about 93, 94 here. And I was starting to show a little bit of my football knowledge back then. And I remember very vividly when I was 
eight years old at Christmas 93. Uh, I was invited on to a show called the Alvin Blossom Show on Radio Leeds, where they'd get people ringing up and asking me questions. And even from that early age, I wanted to get into sports broadcasting. I then went on, there was a guy called John Boyd, and you may or may have not heard of him. He, he, he was a very good broadcaster on Radio Leeds. And every Tuesday and Wednesday night, he did something called the Each Way Bet, where you'd get football supporters, rugby, many sports supporters really, ringing in, asking him questions. And if he, got, if he got your question wrong and you got his question right, you'd win a prize. I want tickets for the Rhinos, I want tickets for Leeds United, Bucks, I want all sorts. And from there on in, I just developed a thirst for, for sports broadcasting. And then back in 2001, when Leeds United were on top of the world and in the Champions League, <laughs> I spotted, there was a programme called a kids' TV programme, you probably heard of it, called Live and Kicking, which was a flat yeah. uh, TV show, uh, Saturday morning kids' TV show. And they were running a football quiz. And I just got home one Saturday, or whatever it be, I think I'd been to the football and I just wrote into the producer saying, I'd love to be part of this football quiz, thinking noth- nothing of it. The night that Leaf played Anderlecht at Allen Road, uh, before I went to the game, I got a phone call uh, on my mum and dad's phone saying, this is the producer of Live and Kicking, we'd like to buy you on the show. So on March the 10th, two, I can't, it's 20 years ago this year, Jesus, <laughs> that, that showed my age. Uh, uh, I got on March the tenth. I went down to London to the studios of the BBC. I wanted to go down to the BBC see what it was like. Took part in this football quiz. Uh, it was like heats. If you won one round, you went on to another round and to another round. And I was playing a girl who was a big Man United fan. So I bet that went that, that went down <laughs> well. <laughs> and you're up against the clock. You had a buzzer. You're up against the clock. Ninety seconds. I think that's as a team has come. All it was. And after about a minute, I was seven three down. After two minutes, I'd won 10-7, and it was quite, quite nice. What was your celebration? Somewhere, but I'll do the rounds. I was 15, I think, at the time. And I went into school the following Monday, and the headmaster mentioned it in, my, in assembly, and I went bright red. Two weeks later, went on the following show, and I got through to the, from the quarterfinals. I then won the semi-final and got through to the finals. Unfortunately, I lost in a dead heat, which was, I was a bit gutted. But it gave me a little bit of insight what live TV was like. And I've been kind of fortunate in my career that I've done live radio with Leeds United and and what have you, and live broadcasting. It's, it's a massive thrill. And people like Bryn Law, who's been a real hero of mine, and I helped Bryn with some of the statistics and sort of some of his, his bits and pieces. So, yeah, and it, I've always wanted to get into sports broadcasting. I've been very lucky that I've done my books. And I've kind of got an in with the Leeds United that I've done stuff a lot with the women's stuff that report on the women's stuff, which is absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, I'm kind of fortunate in a way that I do have contacts within the game. And I think with my statistical knowledge, it gives me another opportunity to try and get it in in that way as well. So, yeah, it kind of started off from a very early age and it's kind of grown from there, really. Nice. You've mentioned then like about the statistics. Um, yeah. You say it's full house. Fair to say that over probably the past 10, 15 years, in football especially, the value of statistics has gone up immensely in terms of the coverage that we now get. Yes. You know, and just sort of touch on that. Why do you think that that is the case? And I, I think it, if you look back 10 to 15 years, you only kind of had up to stats that were kind of doing the rounds. Now you've got so many different 
analysis and, and what have you. And you look at people like LUFC Data, Chris, who's absolutely fantastic for what he does with like runs, tackles, passes. And it, I think it was kind of with the introduction of ProZone, I think back in 2004, that a lot of football clubs kind of brought into that, that data side of things. And from there on in, it's just kind of grown and grown and grown. I'm a little bit different. So I'm more like historical stats and games and goals and et cetera, et cetera. People like Chris on LAFC Data do little things that can, they can analyse. And I think it helps. I've got a head coach in Marcello that absolutely loves his data, that will do so methodical planning. And I, I love something like that. And I think data has grown and statistics have grown and grown and grown. Uh, from where it was from, from 2003. Uh, and it, it's, yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I joined Twitter uh, 10 years ago and it's just kind of grown from there and it's just kind of taken off from there, really. And it, it's weird because I get kind of people asking me questions and I do try and sleep. Even if I get people <laughs> asking questions at 11 o'clock at night, I do try and switch off. But yeah, it, I think it has grown. I think it's, it's a massive thirst for information. Uh, as well, that people want different statistics, and there's all sorts of different statistics out there at the moment. And the, and the way other people do it, like there's a guy called Blade, Blades Analytical on Twitter who's absolutely phenomenal with the stuff that he does. And there's different things you can do. And I think with technology nowadays, like you go back 30 years, games weren't being broadcast like they were nowadays, and they're broadcast everywhere. And you can pick out little bits. I'm like. I don't know how many runs or weights or things like that. And it's just grown and grown and grown. And it, it's fabulous to see that football clubs now rely a lot on data. Mm. So like, obviously, you know, th there's that link there with the statistical background, the yeah. broadcasting, journalism, that sort of stuff. Just sort of touch on, if you would, sort of who, who do you look up to or who, who's currently in the media now? Who do you sort of look at and think, yeah, they know what they're talking about or, you know, you really sort of respect them as an opinion? I, I don't think it was now, but I think when I was growing up with John Motson, because he, he was the oracle back then <laughs> as I was growing up. And I, th I think maybe someone like Martin Tyler, uh, who's been around for, for nearly 40, 50 years. I think Jeff Stelling's the one, the job that I'd, I'd, I'd love to have. To be able to, all those games and... And, and what we've fed all that information and I've been very fortunate I've been able to sit in the gallery for uh, for a soccer Saturday and did work experience at Sky and it's absolutely phenomenal how the show's put together so people like that I had a little spell at Sky where I was doing I was there for three months uh, doing in the football statistics team I didn't settle in London because I found London quite soul destroying uh, and what have you but yeah, someone like Jeff Stelling or even someone like Gary Lineker, because they do all do the research and you've got the, the, the researchers that kind of feed all the information into, uh, into their earpiece ear and what have you. So people like that, really. But I'd love an opportunity to, to do a bit more in, in broadcast media. I know it's very difficult to, to kind of break into uh, at the moment, but I'm, I'm doing what I can. But yeah, people like Jeff Stelling, Martin Tyler... Rob Hawthorne that have been going for years uh, and, and just kind of keep going and keep going. One day, I think I'll probably retire. Uh, I think you'll have to wheel type out of, uh, of Sky Sports <laughs> we've been doing for so long. But yeah, got I've just got that that thirst for remembering all the statistics and all the games that have, that have gone by year, year by year, really. 
Have you got any? Um, have you got any stories when you're working at Sky? Work experience? Any? Uh, any of the? Uh... I think just I just remember Martin Tyler and Andy Gray walking into the office, and I just had a chat with them. Uh, talking to the guy called Ian Payne, he was a big Leeds United fan. I got talking to him quite a lot. I can't remember too many stories. Uh, the, it was a real surreal place because for me, someone growing up watching all this and then kind of being thrust into it was fantastic. It was just a shame that I think it was just the wrong, t- the right place at the wrong time uh, for myself. But yeah, it's a great place to work with. Uh, and obviously, if an opportunity like that ever arose again and it was a bit more local, I'd be very, I'd love to, to, to take that opportunity. But I'm doing what I can. I've got my books out. I've got my name out there and I'll keep doing what I'm doing, certainly on my social media as well. Brilliant. I mean, Andrew, you just touched on it there about social media. And personally, I've yes. sort of followed your journey for the past few years. Um, something yeah. that sort of really caught my eye, mate, is, is your openness of talking about mental health and, you know, yeah, and your journey it, with it, that. If you want, mind, mate, if you can sort of touch on that journey and, and just sort of how you... Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of started for me sort of 2010-11 when I was struggling in a job that was at. I was having a lot of personal problems with the job I was at and I got a lot of negative comments and uh, there was one day in March 2012 when I, I kind of contemplated suicide and it's not something I'm particularly proud of but it's something that I've grown from and I was living on a... Uh, a fourth floor apartment in the city centre uh, and I wanted to jump off that 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 building and I wanted to, to end my life and from there on in I was very fortunate that I'd got an opportunity to write my first book with a guy called John Howe who's a very 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 good writer uh, with the stuff that he does with Leeds United and it's kind of grown from there and from kind of doing uh, that one book it's it's kind of given me the opportunity to go ahead and, and do do others and my mental health battles, I struggle every day, but I get on with it. I've got the right support networks. I've had an awful lot of counselling uh, over time, which has helped me helped me mentally as well. Uh, and it'll help me. It helps me physically as well. I've got a wonderful relationship with Emma, uh, my partner, who, who helps me massively. My parents have been extremely supportive with, with everything. And it can be tough. And I, I try and be open and as a, a sort of possibly can because you never know who's struggling and yes I remember when I first put on about my mental health and my depression that I got a lot of negative comments and there was a couple of people I'm not going to name anybody's names because that's not what I'm here for but there was a couple of accounts that sent some very negative messages saying oh he's only doing it for attention seeking and it, it that can hurt that can really really hurt somebody because you're out there, you're trying to put the message up. Uh, the you're trying to put the message up that you are struggling, and you're trying to get the, the stigma out there. I don't think enough's done at school level uh, about mental health. I was bullied a lot at school, uh, which which didn't help, and I wasn't the brightest at school. I'll openly admit that I did struggle academically, but you get a lot of comments saying you shouldn't be in this school, you shouldn't be this, you shouldn't be that. And it, it, it's soul-destroying. And I wanted to try and get that message across that people do suffer. And his man's club is out there. I've, I've been to his man's club uh, a lot as well. And, and they're, they're, they're there to help out. And 
for me, if you are struggling, it can be a small problem, it can be a big problem. Talk to people because you never know. Just talking to that one particular person can be a massive weight off your shoulders. No, definitely. That's brilliant, mate. Like I say, we're sort of really proud that Bert and mine are friends of our podcast. So, like, it's, it's just like you were saying there about speaking, you know, getting those right people around you. If you could yeah. point one person throughout your past, and Andrew, who sort of really helped you and sort of get you where you are now, who, who would you say that is? Uh, apart from my girlfriend, who I've been going out with for, for 16 months, has been an absolute rock. I think it'd be my parents that have helped mm. me like with doctor's appointments and, and what have you, uh, and have just been there every step of the way, and that they know how much I've struggled uh, with things. And the, 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 I talk to them every single day. I don't live with my parents. I live on my own. Uh, but they, they have helped me enormously and immensely. And sometimes you just need to cry sometimes. Mm-hmm. I do show my emotions sometimes that, I do cry at times and that can be, uh, it can be difficult because I know people don't accept when men cry, but sometimes it's good to have that and let that, that, that steam off and what have you. So yeah, my parents have been, have been rock solid for me. Uh, Emma's been absolutely phenomenal for me. Uh, And yeah, we must talk four or five, six hours during the day with me. Well, not, not when I'm at work, but yeah, yeah, uh, Emma's been brilliant. My parents have been absolutely fantastic. Sounds good, mate. That's good to good to hear. Good to hear. So obviously, fast forward then. Yes. Last twelve months, I don't think anybody predicted the sort of events that have unfolded over this past twelve months <laughs> and lockdown. Poof, yeah. As, as as I sort of said at the beginning, it, I think when you have that taken away, you have your your routine taken away from going into work every morning coming home, seeing your girlfriend every every evening, every other evening, to have that literally just ripped because of, of this coronavirus is, uh, is very difficult at times. And I will admit, I did struggle for the first month or so because I didn't know if I was coming or going. And it took a while just to get used to it. I think we were lucky in a way when it was April, May time, we could go for walks and we could go out. Now it's difficult. You come home, you look at the weather, it's misty, it's sludgy, it's it's snowy, it's horrible. And it, it can be quite difficult at times. And luckily, I've got the right support networks in place with my family and with my girlfriend that it hasn't got me too down. And I've been in a new role since December. I think had I not been working, I think I probably found it harder than it was. I know a lot of people have been furloughed or a lot of people are, are out of work. And that's difficult because that's taking your livelihood away. I feel that the government will learn from what they've done. I'm not going to get into political, political debate. I, I can say uh, that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, and that's not for me to talk I don't know enough about politics. But I think they'll openly admit they've got a lot of things wrong. And it's been very difficult, but I'm, I'm very fortunate that I'm back into a routine where I get up early in the morning at seven o'clock. Uh, I get ready. I do look at my laptop and see what stats need doing and what have you. Then I go into work and come back at five o'clock and I have my routine set out. When you have that routine sort of taken away from you, that is when it can be very, very difficult. Brilliant. Like I said, following you on social media and whatnot, mate, and sort of being in conversations with you, I probably know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. The one person throughout lockdown that sort of really supported and got you through lockdown. 
Uh, Marcel Bielsa. Marcel Bielsa, yeah. That would kill me if I don't say Emma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the god that Marcello has been <laughs> the Premier League as we speak, Emma has been a godsend because we've helped each other. Uh, and it can be so difficult when because I live alone and she lives with her kids. It can be difficult, but we've, we've gone on with it. We've done what we needed to do uh, and we've, we've helped each other. So she, she stood by me sort of every step of the way, really. Brilliant, mate. Um, Andrew, in terms, of, uh, in terms of the future, obviously Paul touched on your, your books and stuff yes. uh, and what you've done. Just, just talk to us about you know, what, what the future holds and, and just give us a bit of information about the books that you've written previously. So, and, yeah, with the books, obviously I've done, for, well, it's three in an add-on, really. The first book I did with John Howe, in 2012, was Leeds United Top 100, which we did a vote for the the fans for for the Top 100 Leeds players of, of all different eras, and it was very interesting to see the results. John wrote it beautifully. I did all sorts of the statistics with that, uh, and that came out in, in November 2012. I then did another one three years later with Heidi Haig, uh, Leeds United in the 1980s, and I wanted, I wanted to sort of research a hidden era of football because if you look back at the 1980s it was an era of hooliganism there was a lot of strikes going on I think it was the minor strike Thatcherism and whatnot and I wanted to try and investigate a little bit it was great fun researching it and it was also a dark time for Leeds United because I got relegated in 1982 from the old first division and it took them eight years to to get back up to to the what was then the the first division so that was brilliant to research and then the third one that I've done, uh, but it's, it's funny with the third one, the well, Leeds played Middlesbrough a few years ago on a very cold March Friday night at the Riverside. Patrick Bamford actually scored a hat-trick for Borough. And I was sat on the coach on the way back thinking, it's Leeds United's 100th birthday uh, in uh, October 2019. What can I do for the football club? So I got in contact with the media, head of media, James Mooney, who's been an absolute legend to me through absolutely everything. And I couldn't speak highly of the guy. He's had me through so much. And I said to him, look, I want to do a book for Leeds for the 100 years. I already had a publisher with the with the last book, uh, with the Leeds United 1980s book. And uh, I said to him, look, can I go ahead and, and do a history book on Leeds United? And lo and behold, at the centenary dinner last year in, in October or the year before last in October 2019, my book was presented with a centenary shirt and it was very, very surreal. I got Liam Cooper, who was holding my book up on the website, which was absolutely ridiculously surreal. And I've got, <laughs> got to know Coops quite well and, and what have you as well, which is really nice. Uh, he did a wonderful message for my birthday uh, last year as well. Uh, and it was surreal. I've got people coming up to me asking for my autograph at these events, and I'm sort of thinking, wow. And it, it's quite heartwarming to see that people want, want my autograph to... You've definitely practised that. My book. <laughs> You've definitely yeah, been practising that. <laughs> and it, it's bizarre because I'm just this guy that's a Leeds fan that has been grown up in Leeds and, and support the club all his life. And then I got lucky again that Leeds won promotion uh, last season. And I said to my publishers and Leeds United, can we do a book, another book or the, or the add-on if Leeds win promotion? We dedicated the book, sadly, to Norman Hunter, to Trevor Cherry and to Jack Charlton. Three absolute legends that, that we lost very, very sadly over the last season. 
And I've got some fantastic pictures from Andrew Varley, the photographer, wonderful pictures. I've got pictures from supporters on, on the night that, that Leeds, won, well, Leeds ended up the season with a fun of it, Trevor Charlton. And it's just sold brilliantly. And it's just something to, to say that I've got my name on four books and to look back on. And I get a lot of positive feedback and I just wanted to give something back. And I'm, I'm very lucky that uh, I've got the people at the football club that, are wonderful to me, people like James, Jordan, Craig, couldn't speak highly enough of them. They've done so much for me uh, over over the past three or four years. So, yeah, I've just been very, very fortunate. As for the future, if, God forbid, I say God forbid, if Leeds ever win the Premier League or anything like that, <laughs> there might be a fifth book in there. That could be completely down the line. You don't know what's happening. <laughs> that might be a long, long time. <laughs> it might be, yeah. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Bielsa and what have you. <laughs> Uh, after this season, touch with a police stay. But there's opportunities there. I'm thinking all the time of different things to, to be creative uh, and get myself, my name out there. And I've been very fortunate. The club have been very supportive. That There's hopefully going to be a bit more opportunity to, to work with the women's side of it. That I, Obviously, it's on hold at the moment uh, with the coronavirus. Uh, that, are, that Obviously, we don't know when that's going to start again with the government, but there'll be more opportunities hopefully to do some more work with them. And I've, I've kind of got myself uh, a foot in the door at Ellen Road, which is what I've always wanted. So, yeah, I'm very fortunate, but I'm also very humble by it all. The, I don't let it ever go to my head. Uh, and I just take each day as I see it and, and go from there, really. Brilliant, mate. I, I suppose for all of our listeners and people sort of listening to this, mm. for those of them that are like me and Scott and have never written a book before and probably would yeah. fail, just sort of talk us through the process of what goes into actually writing a book sort of what oh yeah where, where do you, it, it, it's first came up with an idea and i was very thought it's kind of actually doing the research first because you want to look at the demographics you want to look if a book is is uh has been done at all i'll start with the first book the legion United top 100 that i did with john there was a vote done in the old leesley's leeds magazine back in 2003 and we thought a lot of water has gone under a lot of bridges since then. Leeds United had been, had been relegated twice from the, to the Championship to League One, then won, then won promotion uh, back to the Championship in 2010. And we wanted to get people different ideas, really, uh, of, uh, of different players. And everyone's got different favourite players that they like through different eras uh, and what have you. And I kind of got fortunate with John that uh, we thought we'd do that book and it sold very, very well. And the, the, uh, the vote was very, very good. And John is, as I said, a brilliant writer. And we got in contact with a publisher uh, that I knew, a guy called Paul Camelin, who I think is part of the press team at Brighton. So I got in contact with him and we did that book. And then I, I, I luckily I got in touch with another publisher, uh, DB Books, who I've, I've, I've done my other three with, saying, I've got another idea. It's about Leeds United in the 1980s. It's never been done before. I want to look at all the, the different things I've said there, like with the Thatcherisms, with the minor strike, the hooliganism, because there's so many stories to tell. I felt like it was a bit of a forgotten era, the 1980s. And you look at the incidents Leeds with Bournemouth, that so much has been written about Leeds at Bournemouth in 1990. The Bradford City chip fire at Oddsall after Bradford City unfortunately had the, the tragic accident at, at Valley Parade with the with 56 fans dying uh, back in May, in May 1985. Uh, uh, Leeds writing at Birmingham that same day, actually, uh, back in May 85. And I wanted to look into that. And I did some research 
nothing had ever been done before. The only similar thing was kind of the service crew. And I think it's so important when you when you want to do a book that you make sure nothing's been duplicated. And I think that's vital because if you do that and somebody's got a similar idea, it looks very strange if you're going to do the same idea. And then with the third one, Daniel Chapman, who I've got a lot of respect for uh, from Square Ball fame, has done something a bit different to what I'd imagine of a statistical history knowledge. I checked with a football club what was going to happen with the centenary and to have the actual official history out with the football club is, is very heartwarming. So it's basically doing all the research, make sure you've got a very good proofreader, aka my mother or my girlfriend, <laughs> uh, because I think that's... that's uh, that's that's massive because you can write things three, four, five times. You still might get something wrong, especially with that. And I was I was kind of waking up at five, six in the morning, doing two hours, going to work, coming back, doing two hours, and it, it's shattering. But it's also very re- rewarding at the end of the day. And I, I kind of got very very lucky uh, with it all. So yeah, it, I think it for me it's doing doing the research, speaking to publishers having a very, very good proofreader and have the confidence. Because at times I'm not the most confident of people, uh, but I've, I've written four books, which I'm, I'm extremely proud of, really. Who's, who's your best player, Andrew? Who's the best player you've seen down, down Leeds? I, I've been asked this a lot. And the one that stands out for me is Gary McAllister. Okay. Uh, when, when I was growing up, he, he was the midfielder. He had everything. Did, did Maka. I, I was gutted for him when it didn't work out for him as a manager. I think that's why great players don't always make great great managers. But he had everything. He, he helped us win the title. He was made club captain with Strachan. Uh, kind of relinquished his duties. And yeah, he just that midfield, if you go back in the 91 2 season, McAllister, Strachan, Speed, and Batty, that, that midfield was just simply sensational. I could have picked anybody. Uh, Bidouks was unbelievable in the Champions League era. Oli Dakar, Lee Bowyer, uh, the list goes on. Uh, and even now, you look at someone I know he's not featured a lot this season, but you look at Pablo Hernandez, that goal he scored against Swansea, I think will go down as possibly the biggest goal that Legion Island scored in the last 16 years. Who got, who got voted in the uh, top 100? Who were the, who were the top three? Uh, off the top of my head, I think it was Billy. Uh, uh, Billy number one, because it's it's Billy. Uh, John Charles and I think Eddie Gray were the top three off the top of my head. So John Charles was again from a different era. But it was such massive figure scoring 43 it's just yeah just it was great fun researching them all and coming up with different statistics uh like i think when i came up for mark viduk and it, it took me a while to think of them just as a prime example viduk has scored in every third round fa cup tie played for for Leeds united so it, it's just looking and picking different things out of the the ordinary fan i don't mean that term in a derogatory way but someone wouldn't think of those those statistics and i think my famous one I was on the way to a ladies' game a couple of seasons ago and I put out a tweet that Leeds United have always named an academy player in every game bar five since 1920. And my Twitter just exploded and I couldn't do any work that day because it just went mental about 4,000 retweets, <laughs> which I'm sat thinking that, hang on a second, this is mental. So it's nice when you come up with something different. And there was also one when, I think my head, Coops, Tyler, 
uh, played for Wales. Uh, Dallas and Calvin Phillips. Dallas played for Northern Ireland. Calvin Phillips played for England. I remember the tweet. The first time in our history, yeah, that all four home nations had played on the same night or been uh, played on the same team on the same night. And again, people like Graham Smith picked up on it. Phil Hay picked up on it. And it just kind of went a little bit crazy. And even Coops and uh, Stuart Dallas picked up on it, which was a little bit crazy. Is your, so, is your, is your mind always yeah, ticking? No. <laughs> is your mind always you ticking? Is it always... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's even like tomorrow night. I know we play Everton tomorrow night. They've only won three times out on the road in 51 visits. I'll think of something out of the ordinary. That'll be a little bit different. That someone won't probably come up with. I know there's guys out there. Johnny Cooper on Opta is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, again, Chris from LFC data is really, really good, and they'll come up with different things as well. But I just try and look at stuff that's a little bit different. Like for example, tomorrow's game kicks off at half seven. It's only the second time in 25 years that we've had for the half seven kickoff at Allen Road. Something stupid like that that the fans <laughs> wouldn't think of normally. Which is just, it's taken me ages to research that and go through all the programme covers and what have you. So, something a little bit strange or, or, or like, for example, uh, when we play at something like the next away game, the Emirates, that'll be, no, Kamash has already managed the Emirates, the next away game after that, where we'll be Bielsa's 42nd uh, different ground is managed out, or something a bit different that I keep coming up with stuff like, now that Alioski is hit 100 games, sorry, the 100th list of uh, all-time appearances, that's got six players. Like I've got one specially for the Palace game, Touchwood, that Calvin doesn't get injured or sent off tomorrow. <laughs> He'll hit 200. Uh, and I've got something prepared for that. So I'm kind of always looking ahead to to the next game and the next game and the next game. And, do you and just watch games differently? Do you, do you watch? Do I say again? Do you watch games differently yeah, when you're watching games? Have you got that sort of stuff going through the back of your mind? Yeah, yeah, I have. It's like when, when Bamford's got his hat-trick against Aston Villa and I've always had this prepared within seconds. I had, that was the first hat-trick away from Allen Road in the Premier League since, uh, I think it was uh, Mark Viduka got three at Charlton when we won 6-1. So I've always got little things kind of pre-prepped, pardon me, uh, Pre-prep, should I say? Uh, and I've always got things ready in my head, knowing if something does happen in a game, like a player gets sent off. I know Touchwood, we haven't had any sendings off this season. Uh, it'll be the first least player since dot dot since Mark Viduka got sent off at Bolton in the Premier League, or or something like that. Or if we get a penalty, it'll be the first penalty at Allen Road between Leeds and Everton since Gary Speed missed one. I'm getting, I think that's right, 96, 97, 98. So little things like that that I can just look at the game. And I can think, hang on, is this happening? Is this going to happen? And how I can kind of prepare myself in, in, in every eventuality. And within seconds, I try and try and put out statistics. Like, I think I put one out when, when Stuart Dallas scored on, on Sunday. The, he was the first Leeds player to score home and away uh, to let us sit in the top flight since Mark Viduka in 2001-2. So I've kind of got little things like, if Rafinha scores, because I know we've got the, the winning goal at Goodison Park, hopefully be fit enough to play tomorrow night. The, I'll have something prepped in my head, thinking who was the last Leeds player to score home and away against Everton uh, in the top flight. I don't think we've done it in the Premier League. I actually now tell I Michael produced it in 1999-2000, scoring in the 4-4 and scoring the 1-1 uh, uh, at Allen Road at the back end of the season. So I'll have, I'll have little things in my head ready 
for every single eventuality that I can possibly prepay for that hopefully the people won't have really. Brilliant. And what, what, are your, uh, what are your predictions for Leeds in the future? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, I think this it's daft because we're 12th in the Premier League and nobody I, I can imagine would have thought after the disappointments of the Leicester City game, the Crystal Palace game, thought we'd be uh, anywhere near where we are now. If we can improve and we can keep the squad together, a lot will depend on what Marcello does. I'm hoping he'll give it one more season. I hate giving Leeds United predictions because I can get egg all over. <laughs> but I just this is, what, this is what it's all about. You've got to predict. <laughs> of course. <it> is. <laughs> I, I went on uh, a, po- uh, a podcast and said we'll finish in the top six. I might not be far off after all. I think this, the league is so hit and miss. If we can push for top 10 this season and we can improve the squad in the summer, I think there's, there's, there's no reason why we can't push top, top eight next season. I know you look at Sheffield United in the second season syndrome. I know they won this evening, but I know they struggled for, for the rest of the campaign. But I think with Leeds, there's a real chance of progression. A lot will depend on hopefully Marcello will stay uh, for another couple of seasons. And who knows? The, the world's your eyes with Leeds United. I think after the performance at Leicester City on Sunday, I know they didn't have Jamie Vardy, I know they didn't have Ndidi, but you look at the team that finished, the Leeds team that finished, it was the Championship team. Rafinha had gone off injured, Rodrigo gone off injured, Lorente didn't finish, and Robin Koch is injured at the moment. So that was the 11 that basically played the last 10 games of the, the Championship season. So who knows? I think the world's Royce with Leeds. I'm not going to say they're going to make top four or anything like that, because I think they're a, w- a wee bit off at the moment. But I certainly think they can surprise a few people. And there's one game that I desperately want to win because we haven't been there at Ellen Road since September the 14th, 2002. It's Man United. I know there won't be any supporters in the ground, but look, I thought we, I thought we gave a good account. So I know we lost 6-2. I know that sounds daft, but back in December. But I'm, I want to beat Man United. The rivalry is bumped into it at a very young age. One I can, of my best I can feel it. <laughs> and I'm desperate to beat them. And having seen all their success over time and, and seeing all their success sort of as when I was growing up as a kid and seeing Ferguson, who, look, you have to say for the gritted teeth, was probably one of the best managers of all time. Uh, I desperate to beat Man United. It's gutting that I don't think fans will be back in grounds in April time, so at the end of April. But I think there's there's an opportunity to shock them a bit because we learned from the Leicester game, we put our best performance of the season at, at the King Power. So... Yeah, it all goes well. And as I say, just have some fun between now and the end of the season. We're not going to get in a relegation scrap. Uh, we need nine more points uh, that'll take us, what, to 38. That's usually, that's the ballpark figure to keep losing the league. And then you do have some fun. And let's go and surprise a few people. Who's your uh, prediction for the actual title then, Andrew? Man City. You have Man City, think, yeah? Yeah, I just think they're coming to so much form at the moment. I think if they can get over the hurdles of the Liverpool game and the Tottenham game, I think they'll win the league. They've been so impressive. Even against Sheffield United, they weren't great, but they've grown out of victory. And I think Guardiola's been there, done it, got the T-shirt. I know Klopp won it last year. I just wonder with that hiccup that Klopp had with the defeat to Burnley uh, and the defeat at Southampton, that might play into Man City's hands. The game this week, it's this weekend, the Liverpool-Man City game, will tell us a lot. If Man City come through that unscathed, I think they might go on and win the title. They play wonderful football and Guardiola is, is just unbelievable what he's done with that Man City squad. You, you put a draw in your prediction. 
So yeah. hopefully it's not a nil-nil draw and uh, yeah. it's, it's not a board draw. I, I don't think City do nil-nils. I don't think Liverpool really do nil-nils. Uh, then again, Legion Act don't do nil-nils. Uh, so, yeah, I just think City, they're getting Aguero back. He's been, he'd been able to return to training today. So I, I just feel that City have got the, the teeth going again. And I think I know Liverpool have bought in Ben Davis and another defender yesterday that I can't remember the name of. Uh, but I just feel, I think the injuries to Van Dijk, I think to Joel Matic, and I, I think a lot of they've done really well to get where they are at the moment, Liverpool. But they have to win on Sunday. If City, if City don't win, they must not lose. And I think that'll put them in pole position. I know we've got still half a season to go. But if one team is going to go on a run like like Man City are between the end of the season, it'll be City. And just just lastly, in terms of the future, and you've talked a bit around your books and, and yeah. talked around, you know, family and, 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 and leads as well in terms of the future. Yes. Who's, who's really the one person um, apart from probably you, you, your girlfriend and your family that you spoke, you spoke about, who's the one person who's going to help you, um, you know, get to, you know, be successful in your predictions for the future and, and, and help you I, achieve. I think I'd have to sort of say three people. I'd be the media team at Leeds United with James, Jordan, Craig, and, and even Dominique as well, because they've helped me so much. I remember when I lost the radio gigs. I was doing a lot of radio coming to Radio Yorkshire between 2015 and 2017, and it just kind of stopped. And, and James took me to one side, and he said, we'll look after you. And he's been good to his word, and I will never forget that. And that was something that will live with me for the rest of my life. And... They are brilliant. James, Jordan, Craig and Dominique do so wonderfully for the media side at Leeds United. And I, I, I love them all to pieces. I think so, so highly of them. And I'm always there to, to help when, when needs be. And uh, I'm hoping I can go from strength to strength with that, really. Brilliant, mate. Just before we finish, just touching on what you just said there, like as a leader yeah. myself, I don't know whether you feel the same, but over the past few years, those sort of years you've just mentioned, there seems to be a massive, massive change in sort of the the culture at the club in terms of that that togetherness, that looking after each other. Yeah. The community, the I, I foundation's think, gone from strength yeah. to strength. You sort if of you you look think back, back to the Chilino days and it's Yeah, I was gonna mention that. If if you look back at that when it felt rock bottom, I put on Twitter uh, on Sunday, it was seven years to Mad Friday. And I'll never forget that night. It was just probably the barmiest night uh, that I've never known that Brian McDermott's allegedly sacked. Ross McCormack goes on Sky Sports, trying to get himself a move within three hours. Uh, and then we go and meet Huddersfield Town 5-1. Uh, McCormack does a hat-trick. Uh, McDermott's reinstated. And it was just a complete soap opera. And the Chileno years have been, have been done to death. It wasn't, how can I pull it? It was a very strange time because you had divides in the fan base. The some were Chileno in, some were Chileno out. I'm not going to obviously get into all that debate now. And it was very difficult. Even on social media, there was a lot of infighting, so to speak. And uh, it, 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 it was very difficult knowing what to, what's right, what's wrong and, and what have you. Uh, just to let you know, there's been a red cap for Southampton after two minutes at Old Trafford. 
uh, and I think it's a kid that's just and London's just got sent off, and you could still take me against Crystal Palace. So that was fantastic. <laughs> but just go back. We'll, to, let, we'll edit that out. <laughs> this, is, this is your very own Soccer Saturday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but just sort of go back to the Leeds thing. It, I didn't say I'd get disillusioned with it because I, I love following Leeds. I, I love following how Jankovic got sent off. I love following Leeds through uh, through thick and thin. It was difficult during that particular particular time frame. And, and I remember when Dave Hockaday came out, I actually spoke to Dave from my book and he's a very nice guy. It wasn't his fault he got the Leeds job. You're offered the Leeds United job, you're going to take it. It just felt like under Cellino, it was a little bit of a, a basket case at times. I remember the defeat at Mill on the open day of the season. We then lost to Watford, we then lost to Bradford City in the League Cup. And I think even then you knew then that the writing was on the wall. You then get Darko Milanic coming in and he lasted six six games. Redfern came in, he kind of steadied the ship. Uh, uh, Uwe Rosler came in, lasted 12 games. Steve Evans came in. And I think it wasn't until Gary Monk came in uh, that he kind of just steadied it a little bit. And we should have made the players in 2017. And I was very fortunate to be commentating on that season. I love every single second of it, apart from sort of the back end of the season. Uh, and then I think once Radrizani kind of got full control of the football club and brought Bielsa in, I think it it brought him a bit, bit closer together. Thomas Christensen didn't quite work out. Paul Heckingbottom was a disaster. And I think even with the, the introduction of Marcello Bielsa now, I think it, it's just brought everyone together. You saw the documentary which has uh, been absolutely fantastically received and been wonderfully done. And it, it feels like a football club again. And, yeah, there's so many times in that Chilino era that I remember what going to Bolton on a freezing cold January day in, in 2015. It was a drab game. It was one all. Leeds finishing 19th place in the Championship. And you think at that point, could this get any worse? And thankfully for, for Redders, he, he got us out of it. He, he dropped a lot of the, the foreign players. He brought in the, the likes of Lewis Cook, Charlie Taylor, Alex Mower, Sam Byron back in. And it kind of just started the process again. But it finally feels, and going through all my programmes and what have you, we're supporting a proper football club. You look at the, the 49ers with the way they're involved as well. And having promotion last year, just gut-wrenching arms could be there. But we're in the we're in the Premier League, and it, it feels like a proper football club. It's taken a while to get that, but it feels proud to be a lead supporter. Brilliant, mate. So just to sort of finish off, then in terms yes. of the future, five. If you had to pick three things that's going to help you get to where you want to do, sort of three values that that you're going to keep in your life, what would you say the three most important things are? I think one of them is having the confidence to speak out if you are struggling with anything talk to somebody it can be the smallest thing it can be the largest thing just having that ear to talk to uh, is vital uh, I think staying sort of on that similar point communicate to people because um, these times are very difficult at the moment with Covid and nobody knows when this will come to an end and, and what have you it could be months could be weeks nobody knows what the government will decide to uh, and I think the third thing is just be yourself don't try and sort of play up and, and what have you uh, and just be yourself and, and be happy in yourself and if you are struggling there are people out there that, that will generally help that will generally care and 
Twitter can be great like that. The, the people you, you can talk to people and people generally listen and uh, people do understand what people are going through at the moment because of the circumstances we all find ourselves in. Brilliant, mate. That's that's fantastic. Just want to say, sort of again, anytime, anytime, anytime. On the podcast, mate, and it's you know how open you've been. It's uh, it's certainly been amazing to listen to your story and your journey, and I'm sure that a lot of people Popular. will take a lot of sort of you know information from that. So once again, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for joining us on the Predictor Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Spotify and to our YouTube channel. While you're at it, why not follow us on Twitter at PredictorPod and Instagram for more content. Huge thanks also to Burton Mind for supporting the Predictor Podcast. They will listen, give support and fight your corner as no one should have to face a mental health problem alone. Be sure to tune in next time where we will be joined by another top guest. Can you predict who it will be?